calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Lightspeed. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Freund. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Today's story is A Wound Like an Unplowed Field by Max Wynn, narrated by Stefan Rutnicki. This story is copyright 2017. Max Wynn is an absurdist with a currently underutilized degree in neuroscience. They grew up in the Reno-Tahoe area of Nevada, traveling or living in their tiny sedan in Portland, Oregon, where they use their time to consider the effects of corporate capitalism, meditate on alternative social structures, and work either in a kitchen or on their first novel. In addition to fiction, they release poetry under the name Ken Kennedy at K-E-N-N-K-E-N-N-E-D-Y.tumblr.com and hope eventually to produce their unrealized screenplays as Signorotic Films. Follow at C-I-N-E-U-R-O-T-I-C on Twitter. Ideally, they will someday find a way to return to the rigors of academia while also being able to list their occupation as wandering bard on a tax return. But they understand they'll probably have to settle. So it's time for us to settle in and get ready to buckle up. We're going to light speed. A Wound Like an Unplowed Field by Max Wynn when the witch came across the man whose leg had been shot through by the arrow, he was hollering and disorderly, and seemed like a bit of a nuisance. Still, it could be said honestly that the man had a particular charm about him. For example, when the witch asked if he was all right, the man responded with only an agonized groan, but beyond the groan there was also a look he gave her, like the groaning in agony was a joke they alone were in on, and she felt an immediate conspiratorial intimacy with the man with the shot leg. They talked a while, and she took him to her cabin. At the cabin, she tore open his pants to examine the blood-stained leg. The arrow was sticking out several inches, 
The wound around the arrow looked more like a geological formation, like a salt flat, than a wound. The witch clicked her tongue sharply. It is against an artery. If I pull it out now, you will die. But if you stay a while, I might be able to help you. The man swallowed hard and gritted his teeth and agreed to stay with her a while. Many armies and delegations passed through the forest without the witch ever knowing or caring. For miles and miles surrounding her cabin, the wood was so thickly veined and vexed with ages of stray magic cast off by the witch and others that almost all travelers went to whatever lengths necessary to avoid this part of the forest. More ignorant wanderers either had instincts keen enough to notice the scenery losing definition and turn around, or fortunes poor enough to become meals for the native cryptid population. As such, the witch had not taken visitors in some time, and maintained little interest in the politics of the material world. She might have guessed the man somehow got on the wrong side of his bow while hunting, if not for the lumpy leather helmet and breastplate he wore. He must have dragged himself a long way from his company to end up in her part of the wood. The witch had not felt any other strangers in the surrounding web of magic. She asked with whom he had been at war and why. He said that he and several other fellows had been at war with an empire whose northernmost border met his birth nation's southernmost. He had no explanation for why their political relations soured. Though he could read, he no longer did much. His academic career was behind him. He had been conscripted. Whoever made trouble for those that housed and fed him, that was who he warred with. That they had been at war was why enough. How were you shot? His nostalgic jingoism deflated. I couldn't take it, he said. I ran away. I was set upon only a few hours from my company. As enemy or deserter, I don't know. I couldn't take another day. He cradled his head in his hands. I did terrible things. The witch nodded and touched his shoulder. It was a very comforting and long touch. You'll forget about them. At first the man lived almost entirely in a makeshift bed in the witch's porous cabin. He would frequently offer to do work before falling over three steps from the bed. Every morning the witch went to his side and muttered what sounded to the man like insults of a barbarian tongue. She muttered not at him, but at the arrow, which for all of the first six weeks was firm in his leg and appeared without change. The wound, with every hour, became even more like a salt flat. When a month was passed, the man asked what in the world the witch planned to do. The witch that morning had dragged him on a sort of gurney into the yard so that he could get a bit of sun. Now she carefully scrutinized a little twig before answering. I am enchanting the arrow, but it is long work. Is it really such a painstaking task to remove a splinter? She threw the twig without looking and hit him in the ear before turning to face him. Her mouth was an indignant slant. It is not a question of just removing. How long would it take you to whittle that twig into an arrow? By hand, without a stone. He confessed that it would take a long time. Yes, it takes a long time. But if you stay a while... 
Come the second month, the man was hopping around the witch's hut on his one good leg. Both he and the witch had tried their hands at carving crutches, but every pair was unwieldy and mismatched, and, if anything, exacerbated the man's limp. So instead, he became a fantastically nimble hopper. They were together now in the barn, as the witch was milking goats. I must admit the leg feels better. Good. But, the witch held up a hand. Come help me a moment, she said. He hopped over and squatted down on his one good leg, using the bad one like a kickstand. Hold this. He held the milking bucket for her. You're concerned that I still haven't been able to remove the arrow. I am concerned that it is sprouting. She smiled an immensely self-congratulatory smile from behind the goat's udder she was tugging. Good. That's very good. In October, the little arrow had grown into a sapling. The wound mellowed to the color and texture of rich soil. The man could bend the knee slightly, but it took a great deal of effort, with all those roots restraining it. How do they avoid the veins? They go where they are told. Are you familiar at all with physiology? He had been a doctor's apprentice for a little over two months before a more studious and socially auspicious apprentice came along. He told her so. Do you think it would be difficult to weave a sheet around a bone without killing its owner, then around the muscles, and then the veins as well? It would be impossible. She tossed oddly shaped sunset-colored fruits down from a tree. He caught most of them and put them in a basket. Impossible? Hmm. Maybe that is why it takes a long time. He asked what she meant. To remove a splinter, she said. She was indulging herself in another one of her smiles. That is why it takes a long time. For the first time since he began staying there, the witch made the man carry the basket of fruit all the way back to the hut. A day came in April when the man was once again completely immobile. The arrow had gotten too big. The leg had a three-foot tree sprouting from it horizontally. For a while the witch had to trim its branches for the man to pass through doors, but now it was too heavy for him to walk at all. The roots stretched the skin near his calf and kneecap into grotesque knobby shapes. "'Can you remove the arrow now?' "'Yes.' It took her until sunset to reassemble the gurney and drag the man into the yard. A few feet from the door of her hut, the witch sat over the leg, muttering what were certainly not simple insults. Slowly, the tree's roots unwound. With the gait of an octopus, it crawled a few feet away and coiled into the soil. The leg was more porous now than the witch's shanty, and the dawnlight from over the horizon made it glow like a leaf. The witch and the man both thought it looked a little like a honeycomb, though neither told the other so. He fell asleep in the yard and slept there three days straight. By that time the leg had withered to naught. Only a stump of thigh was left. The tree was strong and green and thriving. A little pebble... The arrow's head had been dulled to a harmless little pebble by the growth of the tree's roots. The witch secured it in a leather thong and gave it to the man as a totem. She smiled, but the one-legged man did not smile back. He threw the pendant to the floor. 
"'You promised to fix me,' he said, and glared at the witch. She looked hurt, but managed another smile. "'If you wait a while. I believe I said if you wait a while, I might be able to help you.' She had, in their months together, said those words so often they had become a joke between them. Never once was he able to keep from smiling at least a bit when she did. He felt foolish for his doubtful outburst, and did not complain again. Six years followed. The man hopped about and hunted in the surrounding forest for their dinner, and labored on the witch's farm. In return, she taught him the most basic magic. He was clumsy at it, and even slower to learn it than he had been with doctoring. One day the man sat resting after a successful hunt, and the witch gave him an axe. Without looking up, he murmured unceremonious thanks. She gripped his shoulder and turned him to her. Several years ago you cast this aside. The stone of this blade was once the head of the arrow in your leg. The handle is from one of the tree's branches. He gripped the axe and sat without dinner. He had long ago accepted that the leg was irretrievably lost and that he would never walk again, and that beyond removing the arrow the witch's only help was encouraging him to be patient with and at peace in his body, no matter how reduced its form. In the morning the witch came to him. He was still staring at the axe, deep in thought. He turned to look at her. "'Cut down the tree,' she said. He did as he was told." At least a year she sat at the felled tree muttering shape into its length. On new moons she performed special rituals and went days without eating. The man often also went without eating, though she told him it was unnecessary. The tree was eager to please. It creaked and groaned and shrunk inward. Its leaves fled from it. Its bark went gray and eventually, like a scab or cocoon, cracked off. Where the tree had been, an ornately patterned and immaculately carved leg of very dark wood. The witch took the man's new leg and presented it to him. He attached it to his thigh stump and tested it on the ground. It felt strange. He said so. Well, you can still hop around as often as you like, and you can stay here a while longer if you want, until it feels right. Thus they stood together in the caress of a slight breeze, with the man looking beyond the witch and the distance of trees over her shoulder, trying to think what all, if anything, might remain for him to return to, and he took his time deciding what to do. Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rudnicki reading A Wound Like an Unplowed Field by Max Swin. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or the social media venue of your choice. Our editor is John Joseph Adams, and by no small coincidence, our sponsor this month happens to be John Joseph Adams Books, the science fiction fantasy imprint from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Taken from that imprint, this month's ebook edition of Lightspeed features an excerpt of Creatures of Will and Temper by Molly Tanzer. 
If you are not already a subscriber to our Hugo Award-winning magazine, check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audio and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rutnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by yours truly. Our music and sound logos were composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.